Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the student of the game. I am Kyle Nash, the student of the game. And listen, if you're here, chances are you like talking about sport. We're glad you chose to do it with us here tonight on the show. Listen, it's going to be a fun one tonight. Got a great panel of guests set to start coming in around 8.50 or so. Got a lot of good stuff going on kicking this thing off live but first and you, you may have noticed at one point earlier at the show was scheduled to start at 8 50 but i had to put it back to the normal 8 40 time because i need a little time in here and there are levels of stupid that i've sir seen uh, occur out there in the lamestream media that rival the silliness that got me to even inspire me to, to raise inspiration for me to become the student of the game right back then this this should date this a little bit back then it was people trying to defend ohio state and that maurice claret group who were in the national championship with uh willis mcgahee i think it was ken dorsey right in miami trying to defend that Ohio State actually won that game when they were absolutely robbed by not only horrific calls at the end, the one that everybody mentioned, but throughout the game. But that's not what I'm here for. And this has nothing to do with the fact that I regularly wear a 49er cap on this show because that's my team of choice. But the just outright and abject poor analysis surrounding the Trey Lance situation, it, it just makes me want to start to throw things. And I'm not going to do it here on the show because I have too much equipment. But, you know, after all, you know, uh, coming up here on Friday, I do have the Duval Dive with my good friend Travis Holmes. Bing! Uh, 11 a.m. Check that out on Friday, by the way. Um, and I have every intention of making the simulcast with Huddle Up Podcast, Inc. Bing! Happen next week and, and making all that. By the way, if you're checking out the stream, make sure you're doing it either uh, at Huddle Up or on Sertoba Media or on A7BN Sports Facebook page, uh, Student Game Facebook page, and of course the SOTG on Twitch and Twitter. And of course, podcasts, wherever. But let me get into it. Trey Lance being traded has set off the world. And, and, and listen, the Niners quarterback situation has been a topic throughout all of preseason. Name me another team that's this had, had this had a, has had this kind of controversy two straight seasons in a row. It's not really a thing you see. But the Niners were cornered in such a fashion to where they had to do something with a quarterback a couple years ago when they traded up three, uh, they, they traded three draft picks to move up into the first round where they did get a draft pick back. That was part of the deal, but whatever. Nobody wants to talk about that part. We'll do it your way. They gave up three picks. It was really only two. But we'll, again, we'll, we'll do it your way. They gave up three picks to move up to get Trey Lance. I get that the events of the past, we'll call it week or so, surrounding Trey Lance ending up with the Cowboys is problematic and, and, and certainly can be evidence of somebody declaring bust. I struggle to do that, but for those that say that, I'm not mad at them either. I'm talking about me personally. For one, apparently everybody's amnesia is trying to rule out that Trey Lance was injured twice. It's not like the Niners had him on the bench. Heck, even being drafted as a project that high, which everybody told you in that front office, hey, 
may not go out there right away his first year. They found packages for him, and eventually, the following year after he was drafted, he would become the starter. And he wouldn't start two full football games before being hurt again. Now, I say again because the thing that stopped him from getting playing time, or one of the things that stopped him from getting playing time early, was a hand injury in and of itself. By the way, guy who throws the ball, hands, kind of important. But it's as if those things never happened. Oh, the 49ers should be fired up front because X happened. They all need to be fired for Trey Lance. And yet, we're going to completely ignore that, you know, Mr. Irrelevant became irrelevant. And I see your comment there as you wait in the digital green room, Mike Patton, our first uh, 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 guest on the night here. I, I see your comment there. We're going to get to that, buddy. No one wants to talk about that. See, it's suddenly, it's Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. And if you want to see, I'm caping up for John Lynch as a guy who I enjoyed as a player in GM. Cool. That's the bias I'll allow, but whatever. How, how do you hold it again? Let's pretend to that they're just lucky. That number seven worked out. Name me another coach that can quarterback whisper in this fashion that would have been available for the 49ers to replace Kyle Shanahan with. I will wait. Actually, no, I won't. I do have the AFC South, the preview here, as I'm talking NFC West because there's so much dumb out there in the ether. Now, I'm with the people, and at first I was among the annoyed. Why, why would you trade Trey Lance now? It doesn't make sense from that standpoint. But I am here to try to inform some of you. Trey Lance requested the trade. Now, understand, Trey Lance is still a project. Trey Lance hasn't had another snap, and I am not here. Notice I haven't commented on Trey Lance's talent. Because none of us know. Not a one. And if you do, apparently you're a better scout than anybody who's been employed by all 32 NFL teams. Because if you were a scout that good, you need to be working for them. And you need to have gotten in line ahead of the Dallas Cowboys to get him if he's that great, right? I mean, everybody needs a quarterback for the most part in the league, except for the very select few. Also, if you fail to recognize that the 49ers method of running a team isn't to pay a single guy a butt ton of money, like a quarterback, for example, you aren't paying attention. That's why Nick Bosa trade rumors are out there, too. They don't want to pay him, which, again, I have my own attitude about. I don't want to get into that part of it. <laughs> but this outright criticism that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan need to be fired after doing what they did this past year and being a fourth quarterback injury away... Well, I should, no, it was a th is it, it's easy to lose count. Is it? Yeah, they only injured three. They were on their fourth quarterback. Who was Christian effing McCaffrey? Come on, guys. And oh, by the way, game was close until like late in the, oh, late in the third quarter in the early fourth. The Eagles didn't run away with that like one should have in that situation. Not, not throwing shade at the Eagles. Listen, listen, listen. I get it. Jalen Hurts as a losing quarterback. If it weren't for Patrick LeVon Mahomes, the second making plays hurt, I think would have gotten MVP votes in that Super Bowl. I am not throwing shade at the Eagles. 
But to tell me that there should be something punitive happening to Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch just because they traded those picks is, is just absolutely asinine. Go take an accounting class. Look up the term sunk cost. All y'all Captain Hindsight acting fools, and if you don't know that reference, watch South Park. They should have drafted Mac Jones. Really, how's that going? Until lately, where Bailey Zappi got cut and final cut down day in New England, y'all New England fans out there were wondering if Bailey Zappi was going to start. Now, granted, that was the fans, not the experts. I'll grant you that. But, hey, I heard some people talking about Bailey Zappi starting. I mean, not here to tell you that the Chris Brockman of the Rich Eisen show is an expert per se. He's a fun guy to listen to, but obviously he's a Pats fan. His is whatever. That's fine. That's right. I have receipts. I'm naming names, fool. Nick Wright being the biggest tool of them all. Oh, they should be fired. What would they do with that pick? Who else would the? It's not Mac Jones. Oh, well, they could have, if they had drafted Micah Parsons, they'd have a Super Bowl. You're going to tell me another defensive player would have filled that gap with Hassan Reddick taking out the final quarterback. Well, no, he didn't technically take out the final quarterback. Let's be fair, taking out Brock Purdy. When they had already attempted to start Trey Lance. When they had already attempted to start. You no, know, they did lose four quarterbacks. Again, you could see why I would lose count. But certainly that 12th round draft pick should have. Yeah, I don't know. Right? That That's what it would, that's what would have fixed it? Yeah? That they didn't want a Super Bowl? Really? You can even argue Kyle Pitts. Great. If he doesn't have somebody to throw the damn ball, that doesn't lead to a Super Bowl. It's just an unfortunate situation, a series of unfortunate events that even Jim Carrey couldn't account for. Nobody's going to get that unless you have kids. Sorry. So, yeah, do better than the lamestream. Use your own brains. Trey Lance got hurt a lot. We don't know the outcome. I don't call him a bust because I see I see Mike Patton correcting me in the, in the chat here. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey was the fifth quarterback. Again, you could see why I would lose count. It, Trey Lance got hurt. We don't know if he's a bust yet. I would have liked to see him continue to work under the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan. He wanted to be traded. He requested the trade. I wouldn't have recommended that, but I also get the idea of, hey, I need a new environment. This one isn't working. The Niners are trying to win now, not rebuild. Trey Lance is more of a rebuild type. I think if he were an environment similar to the Colts, for example, to keep it AFC South relevant, with a coach like Shanahan, which I don't think the Colts have, but we'll get in that with C. Lou later on in the show. Then I could see it. I don't know what 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 outdated Mike McCarthy is going to do for your quarterback development. I don't know. Anyways, I ran it. I did my thing. I'm past time for eight fifty. I got to get back. I got to get back on the bus and get ready to tour the AFC South. I got to bring in a guy who leads the charge in quality coverage of this division. And I got to stop with the dad jokes and just get him in here. The general himself, Mike Pat. What's going on, buddy? What's going on, man? Hey, I appreciate you humoring uh, uh, me, derailing things a bit. I, I told you 850 on the thing, and, 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 and I'm here, and here at 851 pulling you in just because there's that much dumb in, in, in this whole trailance analysis, and I can't handle it. And, and guys I respect are getting it wrong, too. That's Guerrera out there. You know, one of my favorite 49ers guys just keeps harping it. 
and and <laughs> to him, Nick Wright, all sorts of people. I I had to do it, Mike Patton. I hope yeah. you that's cool. I'd much rather them uh, honestly to speak on the situation. I'd much rather them admit they made a mistake and move on than to keep trying to make it and force it to work. Oh so, my God, buddy! How I'd many franchises do doubling down on mistakes have ruined their lives just further? That's a great right. point, buddy. I love it. Anyways, speaking of trying to move on, let's talk about these Titans, buddy. Um, <laughs> I and, and and I like that that I set that up for the. Uh, for the transition there, I, I it's not that I think the Titans are bad. I just think they're in a bad situation this year, right? And and but but help me through it. Tell me where, tell me where you think I'm off here because I'll, I'll operate with my theory, and, and you will set in and bring reality as you often do, um, in 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 your analysis of these things when you come on this show. I. The part that gets me worried about the Titans is, yes, I love DeAndre Hopkins arriving. I, I'm going to have you spend time about how great an addition he is as a receiver. Listen, we all breathe oxygen. Ray Charles sees it. I get it. Okay. The part that, that makes me worried is it feels like a racing engine in a Pinto. I, everybody is talking already about, hey, which backup quarterback is going to come in and the announced starter ain't either of them. Help me out. Where am I wrong? Well, the the first thing is wrong is a lot of people have Will Levis as the backup, and they couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Malik Willis has actually outperformed him in the the preseason, and actually he performed in more games than Will Levis did. Which he had a sleeve on his, uh, I believe his right, um, I believe his right leg or right thigh area, and uh, he missed the last two preseason games. And Malik actually is reading the entire field. I don't think Levis is to that level yet. You know, they may have a battle next year for the for the starting quarterback position, but this year it's Ryan Tannehill and it'd be Malik Willis. That's that's the first thing. But you know, I get you with the uh the the you know the racing engine in the Pinto, but here's the thing. If you look at the Titans, you know, the year that Derrick Henry had two thousand yards, notice that also they had Corey Davis on one side that was sixteen yards short of a thousand yards, and AJ Brown that had a thousand yards. So they almost had a two thousand yard receiver. That and two thousand yard, excuse me, a two thousand yard running back and two one thousand yard wide receivers. This mm-hmm. year's team kind of has similar makeup offensively, being that you have a running back in Derrick Henry, albeit older. Uh, you do have uh, a wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins who doesn't really miss any any catches that are in his radius, mm-hmm. and you have a young wide receiver in in Traylon Burks, which you know he actually returned to practice Monday, by the way. So I was going to ask, be, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if he makes it back for the game or anything like that nature, but it's always also encouraging that he's back at practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only difference I would say is that the tight end is probably a little bit more of a big game guy, a big game guy in terms of Chico Quanco compared to what they had that season, in my opinion. Uh, and of course the roles are reversed with the veteran being the leading wide receiver and the young wide receiver being the second wide receiver. It was reversed. Uh, the previous time with Corey Davis being the veteran wide receiver and A.J. Brown being the lead wide receiver. So uh, offensively, they actually are set up for more success, and they also have a guy that's familiar with DeAndre Hopkins and is a little bit more creative than the previous gentleman that was that offensive coordinator. So you're not going to see the stale – I don't think you're going to see this as stale an offensive game plan as you saw last year at times. 
And, and and to your point, like as much as 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 Titans fans may want to speculate away from from Ryan Tannehill, listen, he's a veteran. You know, this is a guy I covered back in my days at the Dolphins wire, and I thought wasn't good enough. And and again, you've heard me make the statement, but I'll do it again for those that need to hear it or haven't. I appreciate the Titans um, when they acquired Tannehill, proving my point that all he needed was more protection than he was getting in Miami at the time. You know, um, which bringing that to, I love the Skronsky pick, by the way, uh, the, you know, watching the Titans address that Skronsky uh, is a guy who's an excellent run blocker who could be developed into a good pass blocker. But I, I mean, listen, for now, um, that division, <laughs> that division should be rate based on the run. But, you know, Jermaine's, <laughs> Jim Ursay and Derek Henry's age is, is enough of an issue on that front. Um, let me ask you this about uh, about King Henry there. Um mm-hmm. 17 games man is, is is this is there anything besides adding more balance as you cited you know Hopkins doing that point about the 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 the, the last time Henry had the high numbers and yardage the receiving core had the same that's a great point by you but other than providing that balance in 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 production is there anybody on the roster today that could provide some sort of a for lack of a better word load management for Derrick Henry that would be Mr. Tajay Spears. Now, uh, he's a rookie from Tulane, and in watching him play, if you haven't seen him play a lot, the biggest concern that everyone had was he doesn't have an ACL on one of his knees, and mm-hmm. that got talked about ad nauseum in Nashville and across the, probably the football world because they drafted him where they drafted him. But he's not only come out and proved that that's not an issue, but he's come out and shown that he can actually play football. He catch the football out of the backfield. Be kind of like the guy that uh, that Hilliard was at the, out of the running back position for the Titans last year, and he can also be a guy that can run the football between the tackles. That's evidence this preseason as well. Now, knowing I know he's not going against star guys defensively, right. but he still showed the ability when a guy had him squared up in the hole. He literally hurdled the guy and kept on going and scored against the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings that one, but. He basically, you know, hurled the guy. It wasn't like hurled him like, you know, huge jump. But the guy was going low, jumped over him, easy touchdown. So he has the ability to be a guy that can take some, you know, some pressure off of Derrick Henry to where he's not in there and not have to be in there all the time. I know Derrick Henry is probably going to want to be in there all the time, being that it is a contract year for him, by the way. Him, Ryan Tannehill, and, uh, you know, with the situation this offseason, Kevin Byard maybe as well. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting just to see how they kind of manage Derrick Henry. If they're able to manage him and get him to week 17, still has good yardage, but, you know, is more rested, and they're able to make the playoffs, I wouldn't want to see that big six-foot whatever, 250-pound man running. He's like a tight end running the football with, uh, with basically a, a whole head of steam. I wouldn't want to see that. Sounds like something out of out of uh, a Marvel movie. Literally a juggernaut in question there, no no doubt, my friend. By the way, I appreciate you uh, leading me right into where I can reference. I know what you're talking about with Tajay Spears, man. I covered him a few times with the black and gold banneret as he played for Tulane. He played UCF um, throughout the time. Oh, I forgot. Bing! Anyway, so yeah, no. <laughs> Tajay Spears over and above being able to run people over. Let's not forget. He's a much better option out of the backfield than Derrick Henry is. On third down, I would see a lot of situations where Derrick Henry is is set 
You bring in Tajay Spears, and that's the kind of thing where you get that load management that we're talking about. I mean, for me, I'm I'm concerned, not as a Titans fan. I, I've, I know I cover the Jags, but that doesn't mean, you know, while Derrick Henry's actions can prevent me from covering a playoff game as 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 a as a uh, as a talent, that doesn't mean I don't appreciate the running that he does. It's it's, it's a thing to behold. So you know him going going sixteen sorry seventeen games eighteen weeks is is important for the Titans' success I think, um, and I would even argue more now than um, uh, last year even. Um, the problem they had last year was at one point Josh Dobbs was at quarterback, and that's a whole other bamboozle. Hey, hey no. I, I, I like Josh Dobbs. I just don't like it that he's been passed around so many systems. That that's what I don't like. Um, I, was, I was about to say he's gonna get an opportunity in Arizona at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I, I hate it that he keeps getting put in not great situations because he's not necessarily a horrible quarterback. It's just he gets put in horrible situations to play quarterback. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're 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 Josh Dobbs with a limited receiver core and Derrick Henry himself is limited. That's a tough place to that's a tough place to live, man. I I, I get it. That's that's not lost on me. I, that, that, there is no shade at Josh Jobs. I'm just saying he was obviously not the uh what's his word? first choice. And and you know, I I hope I hope something could happen in Arizona, but yeah, I'm not confident. Um me either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> History has not been friendly to that situation. Leave it at that. Defensively, the Titans. Um, I mean, do they have the best defense in the division? What do you think? I think in terms of the defensive line, yes, they do have the best defensive line in the division. You have Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry. When those two were paired together, it is trouble, trouble up front. Because Danico Autry, you know, people can talk about him being an older guy. He's 30, he's 33, I believe, but he just gets to the he gets to the to, to the quarterback. He finds a way. He can line up at outside linebacker in a three-four. He can line up as defensive end in a three-four. And he can find a way to get to the quarterback. And he draws attention. And the thing is, he draws attention, but Jeffrey Simmons does too. Mm-hmm. So now you have both of those guys in there. You have Tierra Tart, who's a guy that's expected to take a jump this year. The thing about him is he's a big guy in there, but he has sweet feet in in there too. Because last year, I, I don't know if you remember, but he swam past the uh, the center of the Jaguars and just ate up a guy in the backfield. Mm-hmm. And he's got that opportunity to start and be that guy this year, which I think is going to make that defensive line even better. And, you know, you couple that with the off the outside linebackers. we got Arden Key, who came over from Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. You have Harold Landry, who's healthy this year. You have Rashad Weaver, who had a, a very impactful offseason here and is definitely looking more focused in the tournament this year. He's a big guy. And then you also add in Caleb Murphy. Remember this name, Caleb Murphy. Guy had 22 and a half sacks his last year of college. Came in as an undrafted free agent, makes the team one of – 11 rookies to make the roster for the Tennessee Titans, the 53-man roster. So definitely a guy to keep an eye on. He is a infectious uh, – he has infectious injury in energy when he comes into the game. So that's another guy to watch. And they're deeper up front, which is, you know, great a great thing for Jeffrey Simmons because he can catch a blow and then be ready in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter. And then the only question I have up front of them about their uh, – 
front front you know front core in terms of that linebackers in the uh, the line is who's going to play linebacker out uh, beside Aziz Alshair. Now you've got Jack Gibbons that's slotted to be the guy, but honestly, one guy that I'd look for that they're probably going to need is Monty Rice. Now Monty Rice didn't have the best preseason. I will say that he nest he got injured. You know, I guess other issues going on, but. Monty Rice can defend the pass better than Jack Gibbons can. He has more ability than Jack Gibbons does. It's just a matter of, is he going to step into that and take that opportunity? Or is he going to just be the backup, not really, you know, put a lot out there? It's going to be something to watch for him, which I like his athletic ability. I think if he, you know, I think he should be the guy eventually. But, you know, Jack Gibbons, you got to tip your hat to him. He did his thing. He was where he was supposed to be. And he did all his assignments. So he won the job. Uh, so that's that's the part I think is the strongest, what makes the Titans the best defense right there. Now, the secondary, you've got probably the best uh, safety pairing in the in the in the conference. You do in the And, um, you know, in Hooker and uh, Byard, you have the best safety pairing. The question is, you have Sean Murphy Bunning on one side. You have uh, Christian Fulton on the other side. Those two guys got to stay healthy. And then you have Roger McCreary. Uh, as well. So, and then of course, got to throw in Elijah Molden, who suffered a lot of injuries last year. And but he's not necessarily a corner; he's more of a safety and a uh, slot guy. So, mm-hmm. if those guys stay healthy at the cornerback, kind of you know dime nickelback guys, then that defense could potentially be something special with what they have provided up front. Yeah, I mean, I like their front taking nothing from their safety pairing. I mean, the the the, the safe um, since. Um, uh, the guy out of Texas, I forget his name. Was it Griffin? Yeah, I'm Michael not, Griffin. Yeah, it goes back that far that the Titans have had pretty good safeties for some time there, too. Um, and in a world where it's tough to find safety talent, shouts to the man, Drew Willingham himself of Sertoba Media, checking in here uh, to uh, appear in. Good to see you, Drew. Um, had to show the, throw the love to the comments there. Mike, um, I, by the way, I like what you said um, with Gibbons, too. I think uh, he would be a liability in pass coverage. That's something I thought about. I forgot to say earlier. But let me take it to this. If if the Titans struggle this year, which, to be honest, I, I, I have a big question mark with how they're going to do with some of the games. I, I mean, we'll get into the schedule a little bit. Um, the, the elements outside of the division – are super friendly in some ways in dealing with the NFC South and less friendly in others um, with the AFC uh, North being the other uh, element there. Um, but I feel like if the the Titans struggle, that people are going to blame Mike Vrabel for this. I would argue that he's put together a group despite certain challenges that's pretty solid. I, what do you think about Vrabel's performance so far? I mean, he's going to catch some of the blame regardless. I mean, he's the coach. But the thing is, you know, he's going to catch some of the blame for one move and one move alone. He put Tim Kelly as the offensive coordinator. (laughs) Now, if the offense doesn't look better this year, the fingers are going to be pointed at Mike Vrabel. And it it just is what it is. The seat's going to get a little warmer. Of course, you know, Rand Carthen and Mike Vrabel work together to bring these pieces in. But – his seat's going to get a little warmer, and I think Rand Carthen's going to get a little bit more of a leash on life than Mike Vrabel would at this point because he's the newer general manager, and Mike Vrabel is the coach that's been here for a while. So, you know, that seat might get a little warmer if this season doesn't pan out the way 
they think it should. However, I will say the Titans do have some of the deepest pockets in the 2024 uh, offseason as well. So that'll be interesting just to see after this season how all that shakes out as well. In your mind, if you could take the magic wand and 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 help um, the Titans in a particular area, I mean, listen, you're doing what you do. You're in the press box. You're touring the AFC South. You got to watch some stuff during the preseason there at the building. Congratulations on that, by the way. Um, Thank you. And 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 you've had you know you've been paying attention to the Titans for some time over and above that. But today, if you were going to wave the wand and fix one problem that the Titans have other than quarterback, because that's the easy answer. I'm not let you do it. Uh, what, um, where would you go? I would go offensive line. Uh, mm-hmm. The reason why I would go offensive line is because uh, one thing I, I it stuck out to me and it's always kind of stuck with me since I heard it is that offensive lines don't get a lot of physical play in the preseason or in the training camps, things like that. Steve Weish from NFL Network told me that. I uh, had him on. He was talking about that. And he talked about how it's kind of hard for offensive lines to get, you know, their bearings and, and their, you know, their pairings on blocks and things like that with the less amount of physical play. So what I would do is I would, you know, wave the magic wand over them to kind of get them to week three or four, because at that point they're going to have a little bit more physicality. They'll be a little bit more used to the banging around, those different things. And they would be, you know, kind of who they are at that point. Because mm-hmm. right now, not only do the Titans offensive line not, not know exactly, you don't know exactly know what to expect from them right now. I'm not saying they're not going to be good or bad. I'm, not, I'm just saying you don't know because the physicality hasn't been there. But that, you can say that for millions of lines. You can say that for all the lines across the NFL that, you know, especially the ones that haven't been together for a while, like this offensive line, which has potentially, what, three or four new starters now this year? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean – you know, definitely, you you would basically, I would basically maybe wave a magic wand over that to kind of bring them to week four, so you would know exactly what they are at this point, and if, if any adjustments need to be made. I did see Steve Weiss talking about that on touring the AFC South, Bing! and and I'll tell you what, it's this is part, this is more of that downside from that collective bargaining agreement where they first got less physical practices in the removal of two days. And listen, I'm not saying that shouldn't have happened, right? But what increased immediately after that, we had so many uh, injuries uh, below the waist, you know, knees and things like that, that started to pop up. Guess what? Something that people don't talk about because it's not sexy, but it's necessary. This slur of a skill player such that it is, sorry, as an old lineman, I just don't appreciate it. But big skills are a thing. Darn it, Mike. But I think what you've also done, like a player like Skronsky, if he had more time to hit and develop in camp and practice would be more available to be get, to get on the field and and make an immediate impact not to mention in those practices where you're hitting it's one thing to run to your spot in a scheme when you're doing a run block but doing it when it's live people are in different places how many i hated the beginning of the season as a player cuz of how many times i would trip over someone's ankle cuz now they hitting and they're lower to the ground and a, a foot somewhere it shouldn't be or whatever to remember to get my feet off the ground and certain elements of it man it's so huge for that hitting i i i heard i've heard this point before why said it on touring the afc south but i was so happy to hear it somewhere else uh, again it's something we can't reiterate enough the growth 
of an offensive lineman will now look more like like the saying goes that a receiver's uh, maturity takes a year or two, whereas you could plug in a running back in. An O-lineman, depending on the scheme, of course, um, it is now kind of in that camp, I think, that they, they take a little bit more time to develop. Or in the past, like let's say uh, off the top of my head, I remember the draft where Travis Fisher for the Chiefs immediately started at left tackle. Quentin Nelson just a few years ago uh, started immediately, but it's because he knew judo. Um, but guys now, like you have standouts that can do it more recently. I mentioned Quentin Nelson for that reason. But if you go back far enough to Travis uh, Fisher, I think they were still hitting then. Guys can't really just be plugged in right away. So I, I, I can definitely see um, – your wand is well waved, General. I like that. I like that uh, philosophy and what you put in. Um, yeah, 100%. it's going to be interesting. It's definitely going to be interesting. Skronsky is going to start off top. I mean, he's going to start mm-hmm. in one of the guard positions. Uh, Brunskill did leave the preseason finale with a knee injury. Not sure how serious it is, but um, you know, I think he'll be out there come the first week. I, I haven't really looked into it as much how serious it is, but you know, I, I probably would have heard something by now if he wasn't going to be out there. Yeah, I, I hadn't I have no doubt you would have heard it by now, General. No question. Um well, let's get into the schedule, my friend. Like we mentioned it earlier. Um, the NFC South is a blessing. Facing the AFC North is a curse. And somewhere in there, you have the Finns and the Chargers, neither of which are actually give me's in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, I mean, the Seahawks aren't a simple out either. That is that is a thinking man's game right there. See, is the Seahawks, Titans. Anyway, um, just walk me through it, man. Like, what? I'll just ask you point blank. What's the prediction for the wins? How do you get there, my friend? All right, I got them at ten and seven this year. Okay. All right. The reason why I got them at ten and seven is because the Titans. If you've known the history of the Titans, the Titans will lose a game that no one expects them to lose. Like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they lost to the Texans at one point this year. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't surprise me because they do lose a game that you don't expect them to lose. On the flip side of that, they also win games that you have no idea how they won that game or people (laughs) have counted them out. Like, you literally are probably going to hear in the home opener versus the Chargers that, man, the Titans, man, the Chargers are going to blow them out. You're probably going to hear that. Mm-hmm. And the Titans will probably win that game. I mean, those are just the games that the Titans, you know, it, it just this is how it works out in town. And like literally, what will happen is they'll win that game, and the whole radio station across the whole city will be talking about underestimating the Titans. And then the next game they'll lose the game, and then they'll be, they'll be killing them on radio. That's just how it goes over the since they've been here. General, so, I got I gotta cut you off for just a second because here's how I pick the Titans for some time now. If I believe, I start picking L's in my prediction shows, man, because that's when they start <laughs> to blow it. And if I'm like, there's no way these guys will win, mark it. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's 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 incredibly frustrating. I I I just love to hear a guy that covers it say what I've been dealing with. It's it's there's a certain therapy to it. I appreciate you, General. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 interesting. This the you know you can always kind of get that feel about them in terms of those type of games. I mean, but it's going to be a tough one uh, when they go to Pittsburgh. That's going to be a tough one. Of course, yeah. they face Baltimore over in uh, over in over London, so that'll be interesting as well. Mm-hmm. And the Chargers, that'll be an interesting one. And 
I definitely think the Dolphins game will be an interesting one. That one actually is going to be here right. uh, when they face the Dolphins, which is a blessing for them because they don't have to see that Miami weather and play against them down there. Ooh. Oh, they they <laughs> Oh, they're not in Miami. I think I I'm, I I thought they were I think they're up here in the uh, in no, Tennessee. Looks for that like, one. Looking at ESPN, it looks like they're in Miami, buddy. So, yeah, that, Oh, they're in Miami. Ooh. That'd be rough. Yeah. That's going to be a it's going to be a rough one. <laughs> in light of that, do I need to put you at 9 and 8? I'm kidding. Um nah. I'll, so, I'll still I'll still say, t- say 10 and 7. I will also say mm-hmm. they do have the ability to get to 11 wins. I think 10 or 11 is the high part of the floor. And let me be clear. I'm saying seven wins, but it's not because I feel like the Titans are a bad team. I just think there's going to be some teams that sneak up on them, right? For one, they they open the year with the Saints. Right. I don't know, man. That could go either way. If the defense is as good as advertised, they will intimidate David Carr, or excuse me, Derek Carr. See what I did there? Um, They will intimidate car with that kind of action it's the it's the saints as a defensive team listen maybe i'm i have the problem i'm having a lot of problems processing that that's a whole other thing um then i i think you mentioned the texans uh we'll talk with later with uh our good friend patrick creighton he'll explain to the exact degree how the texans are better than advertised and if you come out slow they might make you pay for it i think a lot of this yeah, I think a lot of this tracks on Derrick Henry's health. I keep listing all these question marks that make this tough. So, like, you know, people are like, well, the junior told you to get 10 wins. I'm like, I'm not saying they can't. I'm just, it's hard for me to process this team. And I've been hurt before by believing in the Titans on this show, Mike Patton. <laughs> I, I picked the Titans to win the division last year. And it was always the Jags, right? I mean, <laughs> who had how many straight wins or losses, depending on your point of view, between the uh, Jacksonville and Tennessee on their card? I know I didn't. So, <laughs> yeah, no, all of that is is just incredibly hard um, for me to navigate there, too. And, and let me walk through. There was one other thing on the schedule that I wanted to point out. You uh, very wisely pointed out Miami. Um I think the Titans beat the Panthers, but it's going to be closer than you think. You know, I, I just the I think I'll put it this way. If I could know up front the health status of Bryce Young, Tua Vialoa, and actually, yeah, basically those two guys, that might bring me up to an eight or nine win team and see, and then we're only like a game or two apart. See, like it's this. This consensus is there, Mike Patton. There's just a whole lot of unpredictable around it. But yeah, I, I got no, I got no hate for the ten win prediction. Um, I'll I also, give you this too. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you this too. As far as the Titans, the game on Halloween weekend where they see the Atlanta Falcons is going to be pretty interesting because Arthur Smith, Don't former offensive coordinator of the Titans, comes back to Nashville. That's going to be interesting in its own right, too. So here's what you've done. You covered the Titans, okay? So does our good friend Danny Thompson in a city that has my last name in it. I'm going to be getting chirping from him because you brought that up. If This is your fault, <laughs> oh, man. Um, Yeah, I have to admit, though, I, it, it's, I'll put it this way. If, if they can find some way to do well on offense despite Desmond Ritter, that'll be a very interesting grouping. They, this might be the best Falcons defense we've seen in years. 
and no one will care because Desmond Ritter's going to fail. I said it. I'm on hold record on. already. Hold on. Hold on. I will tell uh -oh. you this, though. Uh-oh. I will tell you this. The biggest thing that everyone overlooks with Arthur Smith, now they talk about running the football and running the football and all those different things that he does, but Arthur Smith, Arthur Smith creates mismatches very, yes. very well. Yes. And that's the thing. He's going to make things easier on Desmond Ritter because he creates mismatches. You can put John o. Smith stacked in on my one tight end, one tight end off the ball, one tight end on the ball. You can put uh, Cordero Patterson out there in the slot. You can put Bijan Robinson in the backfield. You can have so they have so many pieces that can create mismatches that I think it's going to be easier for Desmond Ritter because he's going to create open passes for him because of all the mismatches. That's a good take. Hey, listen, I'm hey, for for all the trash I talk on on Danny Thompson's fraud cons. I love <laughs> I love the Bijan Robinson pick for them for the very reason you mentioned. And I forgot Arthur Smith is that you know Doug Peterson type. I'm going to pencil whip somebody open guy. You're you're 100 correct. That's a great take. Um, I just wish I didn't have to you know encourage Danny Thompson so much with it. No man. Uh, listen, thanks for coming in. I got my next dude in the digital green room. So hey, I appreciate your time. We're going to talk again, Mike Patton. You know this. Tell the world where you could be found. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Patton eighty two. That's M I K E P A W C O N eighty two on Twitter, and of course, you can find me on Threads and Instagram at the underscore general. That's T H A underscore general underscore M P on there, and of course, touring the AFC South on YouTube and all listening platforms. Hey, listen, I wanted to wear my touring the AFC South T-shirt for your appearance tonight. It's still in the stupid wash. I've been wearing it. I know, right? Who wears? <laughs> No man, so well, I've got some. I've got some new gear now, so I've got like new gear with new different logos and everything now too. So I better, I better get in there. Make sure you check out that gear for touring the AFC South. Bing! See that we plug people stuff here, General. <laughs> Thank you for leaning into it. I appreciate. Anyway, yes, sir. That. I'll catch you next time, my man. All right. Thank you. Always great to hear from the general leading the charge when it comes to covering things, AFC South in general. And of course, he's in the building for the Titans. And I expect a lot more great things from him. I would say I've known him so long I could call him a brother from another, but like that might confuse stuff with what he does with his shows and things because he's been on that. I'm making dad jokes again. Let me get back into it with another guy who I respect an awful lot. Sure. He looks way different, but I can assure you he's not in the witness protection program in the past year. He just decided that, you know, he wanted to be more comfortable. Give it up to my guy, C. Lou. What's up, man? What's up, man? What's up? Hey, listen, I, I was going to make a joke about you changing your identity uh, <laughs> from last year, declaring the Colts the champions, but you get enough of a hard time from your guys at uh, uh, Sports After Dark, so I didn't want to be that. <laughs> nah, that's for sure. I definitely do get a, get enough from them. <laughs> hey, it's a fun time. I appreciate you, by the way, completing that half of your panel was on my show. I'm, I'm sure you saw uh, Lady Ash doing her thing, repping mm -hmm. her Cowboys. I know about 13 wins, but she was fun to have on. <laughs> um, you could quote me on that. It's okay. I've already promised her if they get it that she could come on my show and taunt me. That's and go right. off. Yeah. <laughs> but um, speaking of taunting, buddy, tell me about this Ursay and T Jonathan Taylor situation. Let's get this out the way early because you know we have to talk about it, and I know you don't want to. It's like me leading the show with Trey Lance. I get it. Yeah. Nah, man, it's it's been a lot going on, um, and everybody wants to blame Ursay for for everything that's going on, but really, the and it came out today that the relationship with the Colts went sour back in like November, 
um, or October, November, October of last year because uh, he felt like he was rushed back from the ankle injury that he suffered. Mm-hmm. And that, if you remember, it it was around when Jeff Saturday when Jeff Saturday came in the building. That's when he came back and played in his first game. But um, a lot of people are saying it was Jeff Saturday that kind of rushed him back. Um, wow. Perhaps. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much what came. That's pretty much some of the stuff that came out today, and that was insinuated towards. But um, and then he ended up injuring the ankle even worse, or re-aggravating the injury even worse than what it was. And then you know he had the surgery in January. And here we are. And pretty much what happened was he felt he was rushed back. And then the Colts said, hey, we're not re- we're not negotiating a contract extension right now. And it kind of seems like he felt kind of betrayed by that, um, which is why we have this big blowout now. Um, and I don't know if you watched the Ballard press conference today, but he he's trying to he wants to repair the relationship between him and J or between the organization and JT. Um, OK, good. I so. Feel- I feel better about my AFC South preview being in the queue for the three-point conversion because <laughs> Jonathan Taylor's status is something I'm watching. Bing! Yeah, you were saying. Yeah, and that, I mean that's the that's the big thing repairing it. My my take on it is because I understand where the where the team is coming from. Where we got a new head coach, a new system it's going into league. place. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so you know you want to see how the pieces fit within that scheme before you start shelling out money to everybody. Mm-hmm. And one thing I try to make sure everybody remembers: we have like at least five people that still need to be paid that are on the last year of the deals: Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman, Kenny Moore, uh, Michael Pittman Jr., and Jonathan Taylor. And the Colts haven't had talks with any of them, just because they want to see how this whole thing fits together before they start giving out money. Um, so, I mean, I understand where JT is coming from. You know, he's on the thir- the fourth year of his rookie deal. He wants to be paid. Mm-hmm. We know how the running back market is. You know, it is what it is. But even Chris Ballard said, you know, you take care of your best guys. It, no matter what the market is, you take care of your best guys. And I and I believe that. Like, I, I think that if JT came in healthy, I still think he's not healthy yet. Um, right. They say he still has pain in the ankle and everything. So it's understandable on why he's not practicing. I don't want to risk anything. I want to make sure I'm 100%. Got it. But I think if he would have came in healthy and he, you know, we saw him through the first three or four games, I'm pretty sure the organization would have been like, all right, let's open up negotiation talks real quick. Let's see what we can do. If we can't do nothing now, let's wait to the end of the season. Because I believe they wanted to – they want him. They want to keep JT. Like, they they love JT in that building, and they want to keep him there. That's why we didn't see a trade happen, because they didn't get what they thought JT was worth. Well – I was about to say, we know why a trade didn't happen. I want one hundred billion, <laughs> and that's why that's why I try to tell people like they didn't want to trade JT, and you could tell by the asking price. The asking price is up here. That I mean, we saw it last year with Debo, or I think it was last year with Debo with the 49ers. They asked for a, a I'll ridiculous see that price. What they were doing with Garoppolo, homie? Don't exactly. Oh, Debo might have been worth it. I want one hundred billion dollars for the guy who is in the tub all the damn time. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Bro, I'm with you. Look, listen, that's I. I ain't even mad that you brought my team into it like that. No, nah, it's not. Yeah, it's not even a shot at y'all. It's just saying, like, you know, we see this all the time where they set the price high because they don't really want to get rid of the player. That's but right. but hey, if his team is stupid enough to pay that price, <laughs> I'm gonna take it. <laughs> but it, it, it reminds me. Here we go. In, in the name of segues that you don't expect, right? I re, I'm reminded of the 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 um the bit with uh, Gabriel Iglesias, where his agents talking to him about performing in Saudi Arabia. Just give him some ridiculous number. They'll they'll, they'll never beat it. His agent calls him. 
ridiculous just called. Okay. Like that's what they're waiting for. They're <laughs> exactly. ridiculous to call back. I love, I love it. You're saying that by the way. So, and, and let me take that for, for those who were watching the stream or checking out the video element on Spotify. Bing, um, you might've saw me make a face when you brought up Jeff Saturday for him potentially being the center of this whole thing. Um, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Um, but because I, I was present at the 2014 player meetings here in Orlando at the Waldorf, right? So nearly 10 years ago. I know. I've been doing this that long. Try not to judge me for that. Um, it's where I interviewed Richard Sherman uh, for my first uh, video interview with a uh, player. And trust me, it was fresh off of the Crabtree's a sorry receiver thing. Ashley, that was a little intimidating. Don't worry. It went well. Um, but uh, that's a story I'll tell you about off air sometime. Anyways, sure. um, I say all that to say I had the opportunity to watch Jeff Saturday uh, portray the events of the previous collective bargaining agreement where they were campaigning for less hitting and less physicality in practice. So to hear somebody who was at the table as a figurehead um, for the players, for player safety, to then be implicated in rushing a player back, you see how that messed with me a little bit. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. That's crazy. And like I said, I don't. I'm not in the building. I don't know 100. I know what I saw today this, on. This is on, what you've heard. Yeah, yeah. I'm not well, it's what. I, yeah, it's what I've seen today on Twitter and everything from some people that cover the Colts or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and insinuating that Jeff had a reason, had a deal to do with. Uh, you know, with, with him being rushed back a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, granted, at the same time, he's a player. And at the, at the end of the day, he can say, no, I don't want, to, I, I'm not ready yet. So, I mean, I'm not going to blame the whole thing going on Jeff, but at the same time, like JT has some blame to cast on that as well. And I mean, I get it. Like, cause every time you're on the field, you're showcasing your abilities and you're showcasing why you should be paid as such. But at the same time, he also risked more injury on himself and he feels like he was rushed back as well. And then he feels kind of betrayed because they won't negotiate yet. Yeah. I mean, James, James Harden thinks he has a beef. What about this guy? You know, I, yeah. I, I think he gets a bit of a bad rap, but uh, I don't even know why I went there. Let's, <laughs> let, wait, wait, I, I can bring it back for NBA if you want to talk about that later on, man. Anyways, but I, I'm, I'm with you on all that. And I think here's, here's where I kind of, I, I haven't had the opportunity to even speak or get a read on Jonathan Taylor. I just always, um, respected him and and for all the trash I talk on the Big Ten um, I I thought um, he was a Heisman candidate until he was I think he didn't I don't even think he finished that season or something happened but him being a Heisman candidate made sense for me all the way back to Wisconsin I've been following Jonathan Taylor I really loved it uh, for the Colts when they picked him up it was all a great thing um, and 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 I say all that to also pair with it when I hear a running back say Nah, I can't think about this, C. Lou. Tell me a guy who on every goddamn play gets hit not just once, but multiple times yeah. typically by many human beings of mass greater than himself. And by the way, he may not have been carrying the ball. He might have been pass blocking for that. Exactly. Edge. If that guy tells you, nah, I ain't ready, that mamma jam is not ready. And you got to take that serious. Now, I, I know. Yeah, go ahead. 
I was going to say another thing that sucks even with that, right? Because we we know how the running back is viewed in the NFL at this point. Like we know they're not valued. So you saying I'm not ready to go, you know how that looks. And that continues that narrative on the point. shelf life for the running backs are real low. So so not only did he probably feel pressure from the organization or for the coach or whatever, but then you have that pressure on top of it. Like, I know I want to be paid. I know I don't want – I've never dealt with a big injury in my life. Like, he's been healthy his whole career, and he's never dealt with anything. So it's like, all right, I got to push through this. So it, it's, some, it's, it's a lot of things that go on psychologically as well as – having that pressure from, you know, your coaching staff or whatever to, to go back out there and perform, man. I, yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. I mean, you're, you're bringing me back to the point, that point being made about players um, sandbagging baseline tests for concussions for that same reason. Uh, yeah. That's, that's an excellent point. Um, damn it, man. I might even have you on the panel when I get around to doing this running back value podcast that i got to do because i, I mean i almost cursed talking about that that's a hell of a of a uh a, a conversation and and yeah. well like typical i know somebody's gonna blame me for being a corporate tool but i get the nfl's point on this one man. I, I, just, I do too that that's the scare that's the thing that sucks is like being in the middle and being able to see it from both sides like yep. that's where a lot of people don't want to be they want to pick a side but people can be in the middle and understand this side and understand this side. That's why I say, like, with the Colts, I understand all of the mess that's going whoa, on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. More than one thing can be true at the same time, Silu? Holy <laughs> hell. <laughs> exactly. Like, more than one thing can be true. Like, two things can be true at the same time. And I understand where the Colts are, yeah. and I understand where JT is. I understand both sides, just like the NFL and the running back market. I understand both sides of it. Man, yeah, I... I'd, uh, yeah, we might have to have another pod about that. Maybe, maybe y'all can have me when y'all have me on Sports After Dark. Maybe that could be the topic. I, I, I'll run with you guys. I'm not afraid of heavy. Let's do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, hey, hey, check out Sports After Dark when you're not checking out this show because that is a good time. And if I follow, you need to follow C. Lou on Twitter too. By the way, that's a fun time too, Dan. I, how many times I, I, I. I I, I don't I disagree with you some, but usually I'm just throwing some other gift and tribute to you, man. Anyways, yeah. um, no, I, well, I got to do it. Um, and it's not just because the jersey jersey's hanging over your head. We'll get to the defense <laughs> in a minute because that's honestly what I know the least about this team. And I'm looking as the student of the game to be educated on it. But um, man, what'd you think of uh, AR in the uh, in the preseason, man? I thought it looked pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I think he looked pretty good, and I think he gets a lot of flack because of the completion percentage, especially in the last game sure. um, against the Eagles. But the thing is, is if you if you really <laughs> Come on, man. It's the Eagles, oh. I mean, yeah, but even even then, like if you watch the game, there's a lot of stuff to like about AR. Like, yeah. um, if you if you watch that game in particular, his pocket presence, um, the way he moved around the pocket as as a 21 year old quarterback that doesn't have a lot of snaps, that's not something you can really coach. And the way he moved around the pocket, while sometimes he did leave a little bit too early or, you know, he kind of took a little bit too many extra hitches, but he still moved around the pocket. Like it was it was beautiful to see him to see that we had a quarterback that could maneuver the pocket and then also get out when he needed to. Um, there's and there's a particular play. Let me add on that, too. And I don't think it was that game, but there was a particular play where he, he was forced to roll out. And I saw him look off two other guys and in trouble and find. I don't know if the uh, I think it was the running back. I don't know if it was the third or fourth read. I don't know, but to see him just find this guy as a twenty-one year old 
impressed me. Like, yeah. I, I, it's the kind of stuff where, you know, I, I compare it to where uh, to a young RG3. And he was like, oh, he's this great athlete. But the only thing where he was stupid, actually, he wasn't stupid. Mike Shanahan was stupid for <laughs> him in that damn playoff game. I think you and I have talked about that. Yep. But yeah, it, 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 I, I like the vision for such a young kid, too. You mentioned the presence. I'm, I'm just yeah. signing off so people can't call you a homer. Yeah, and I mean, and even to the vision, right? There, there's some plays last game that I highlighted on Twitter when I went back and watched all 22 and watched, you know, just the game again, mm-hmm. um, where there was one where he scrambled up the sideline. It was a third and ten, I believe, and he scrambled to the right. And Kylan Granson came came off like, or the corner came off of Kylan Granson a little bit late. And if he just kept his eyes up, he could have just dumped it off to him. But yeah. I think he also thought that maybe, okay, maybe I'm past the line of scrimmage. I don't know, and he just kept running but had he just dumped it off to colin grandson it would have been six and then there was another one where uh there's actually two more there was one where uh he took a little extra hitch but had he hit josh downs right on the back foot it would have been anticipated throw your guys would have been open i got josh downs but instead (laughs) instead he rolled out to the left he rolled out to the left and he still threw it to josh downs but it was high it was a little too high and a little, you know, a little too fast. But like I said, hey, he's just stayed in the pocket a little bit longer, or just off that first hitch, just threw the ball. It's a completion, and it's probably five, you know, five yards. And then there was one he missed to Michael Pittman, but that's the one where he threw back across his body and threw it to uh, Colin Granson. But other than that, I mean, I-, I think he played well. I think there's a lot to like. He's young. He has he doesn't have a lot of experience, so therefore, you know, you can expect some things like that. Um, but I, all I'm looking for him this season, continue to progress, continue to get better every week. That's what I want to see from him. You know, and it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I you, you, when As you're breaking down those analysis and finding those little things he's missing as a rookie, what I'm flashing back to is one Trevor Lawrence as a rookie himself. And oh, by the way, you're not going to be mired in Urban's coaching. <laughs> so those things, ironically, something else from Florida. But um, you know, it, it, uh, I think I, I I like I like the situation. Um, I love that y'all didn't get Will Levis because I don't know if you saw the student of the game real mock draft, but Will Le- um, Will Levis fell out of that first round too. Nobody in the student of the game real mock draft picked him. A participant of the draft in question, um, I think Anthony Richardson was actually picked by the Colts in that too. Is why I bring that up. And one of the participants in the draft in question, one Mark Moses on his radio show in Melbourne, was like, "How did you not have Will Levis in the first round?" <laughs> but now he's saying what had happened was, anyways. <laughs> I, I, I had to say thank you uh, as a UA representative of Colts Nation there um, that that was allowed to happen. So thank yeah. you. But, um, now I'm gonna have to just grill you. This defense, give me something, man. I, I and I know you got, I know you got that nose tackle guy in the middle. I like a lot. Which but one, D Buck? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and, and I know why he left the Niners, but man, I also notice how much better Derrick Henry does when he's not in the game. <laughs> I'm gonna last year. I'm gonna do it again. Um, but. Uh, just uh, give me what what else do you have cooking other i mean because i know shaq shaq leonard's flirting with coming back i remember to call him shaq i want props uh you know i i, I just don't know what's going on there give me something to watch for yeah so i mean watch watch for shaq uh he is he's he's technically back like he's going through he i mean he played in the first preseason game 
Um, but he got a concussion. So, like, he's been going through, like, the concussion protocols. I don't think it happened in the first one. I think it actually happened in, like, practice or something. But um, so he's been in concussion protocols, and he's been back at practice but wearing a red jersey, so no contact. But um, he he's on his way back. Uh, I'm pretty sure he'll be ready by week one. Um, the thing with the defense, I like our defensive line. I like our, our linebackers between Shaq and uh, and Zaire Franklin. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even I mean, I haven't had that much faith in EJ Speed, but the past few games, he's kind of flashed. The past few free preseason games. Also, he's going through concussion protocols that he suffered in, I guess, the, the last preseason game. Come but on, he should be He should be back week one. But um, the, the, the real question I have about our defense, I don't really question the front seven. Our main question is our DBs. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really young at corner. The guy with the most experience is Kenny Moore, our slot corner. And then you have uh, you have Dallas Flowers, who's going to be probably our other outside corner, uh, sprinkling in with a little bit of Juju Brents going in there every now and then, as Who well as Juju. That sounds like they're cooking. <laughs> like that. And then um, on the other side, you have Darrell Baker, who was an undrafted free agent, um, and I believe he was an undrafted free agent. But uh, so we're really young at corner. Like that's my main concern. We have those two guys who barely played. And then we have two rookies in uh, Juju Brents and Jalen Jones. I really like Jalen Jones. He was a seventh round pick from Texas A&M. But if you were, if anybody is familiar with him from Texas A&M, there's no way he should have went in the seventh round. Um, he, I think he had like the best. Uh, I want to say he was like the best corner, one of the best corners in the SEC. So if people go back and watch him with Texas A&M, they can see they can see the talent. It's just. I don't know why he fell to the seventh. It's kind of crazy. But um, but I like our safeties too. Like, well, Nick Cross has started to play really well um this season. I think last year, I think he was ready last year, but it was one of those things where Gus Bradley came out and said that he he lacked focus in practice. So, like in walkthroughs, he lacked focus. And so that's kind of why he didn't see the field a lot last year. Mm-hmm. But this year, we see the talent. We've seen the talent in preseason where he's everywhere. Um, so I like that about Nick Cross. Uh, Rodney Thomas, we we saw him last year, another seventh round guy that uh, he got a lot of playing time for the Colts last year in the secondary. So that's my main concern is the secondary. Other than that, like I like where we are with our lineback, our linebacking unit, and I like our depth that we have on the defensive line. We have like six D tackles in, in some or something like that right now, which they're <laughs> they're working on cutting that down. I'm pretty sure, but um, yeah, because they got to get that down to four. That's you as a passing game now. Yeah, okay, make it. <laughs> this is too many. We, we need to stop somebody other than Derrick Henry. <laughs> no, I hear you. Or Damon Pierce, whatever they call him. I'm, uh, Pat, Pat Crichton will say it next in the in the next segment and correct me. Um, man, listen, I, 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 I appreciate you walking me through that, but I, I, I am hearing that this is still a group that was designed to battle in an AFC South that's now at least two years old. So yeah. I, I, I I can hear where that evolution still needs to come. And, and you got younger players that are trying to fill that gap. What I can tell you is Andy Reid and the Chiefs had a lot of young guys playing um, uh, corner in the Super Bowl. Fifth and seven round picks. I wrote about this on the three-point mm-hmm. conversion. Bing! But you know what else they had that they don't currently? Unless you heard about Chris Harris coming back from the holdout. You got guys in the middle. That's yeah. important. So yeah. you, know, uh, you have that going for you. And this is me trying to uplift the Colts, which should probably 
This is probably me giving me. Man, I, I hope our defense is better than expected, but it, I don't know, man. The, the thing I do like about our corners, though, we let Darius Rush go, which I hate that. But mm-hmm. the thing I do like about our corners, they are long and rangy corners. They are your Gus Bradley prototypical corners. They're all like six foot plus <laughs> and have these long, these long arms. Um, so they're really long and rangy corners and they're athletic. So um, that's good to have. But you know, I I'm ready for September 10th, man, to see to see what we got against Jacksonville, dog. Like, <laughs> I mean, listen, listen. I mean, Jacksonville's what 0 and nine in that building so far. Yeah, they've they've had a hard time, you know. Just like we've had a hard time in Jacksonville, they've had a hard time in Lucas. Well. No, but you took it here. I, I wasn't yeah. gonna do it. <laughs> I'm just saying they like to bring up our record in Jacksonville, but they've had a hard time in, in Lucas Oil as well. So hey, I wasn't that guy this time. I, wasn't <laughs> that, you know, I was trying to make it cordial. Now, I might have been leading to the statement that this is an encouraging opportunity to break that streak, but that's a whole other question. I, I mean, you're young DBs versus Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk. Good luck. Yeah, good um, luck. Exactly. <laughs> with that in mind, um, let me hold your feet to the fire, C. Lou. Um, what do you think their record's going to be, man? See, man, I'm not as optimistic this year as I was last year, right? So I hope not. <laughs> I think I've been on record saying like our floor is six wins and our ceiling is nine wins. So I don't, I don't really expect a lot from this group this year. Um, my big expectation this year is just that the young players continue to progress. They continue to get better week by week. Same thing I pretty much said about AR. Um, mm-hmm. Just continue to show flashes week by week. Continue to to show improvement. Like if if I missed like from AR, if I missed a read this week, I make sure I hit this read next week. If I missed a read uh, or missed an assignment as a DB last week, I make sure I don't miss that assignment this week. I, you know, just just different things with them getting more reps that they get more comfortable in those positions, and you see the progress every week. Even if that means we suck for the whole season. I'm cool with that as long as I see the progression, see like the direction that they're going in. I mean, hey, listen, the last time you guys really sucked, that wasn't the past two years. You ended up with Andrew Luck. So, I mean, you know, things improve after sucking sometimes in Indy. I, I get that. Yeah. I mean, maybe we end up with Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, he comes I, back home. I, I Yo, that would actually be <laughs> amazing. I, I'm not going to run on that. Um no, man, uh, I don't think you're going to be that bad. I think the Cardinals have you beat on that front, I'm afraid. But hey, they'll, probably, <laughs> they'll probably get Caleb Williams. So, you yeah, know, for sure. I mean, they'd be, they be cutting Colt McCoy and, and, and starting Josh Dobbs. I mean, not that I think Josh Dobbs is bad. <laughs> um, he ain't going out there to win you much games, though. Not in that. Who can in that? Who, who can? <laughs> starting to sound like Prime. Ain't nobody care. Anyway, um. I, 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 I'll put it this way. You mentioned uh, you aren't as optimistic. I am less optimistic. I, I think you're playing a lot of teams that are uniquely designed to crush you. And then, oh, by the way, who's going to run the damn football? Like, I, I'm not, I'm not, it's not that you have bad running backs. They're just not Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, they're not JT. And they're, they're young. Yeah. Who is Jonathan Taylor? I, you know, not many. We, we, we've established that. But, yeah. um, you know, just playing the AFC North is terrible um, in general against a team who is of your personnel makeup. Um, speaking of personnel makeups, the Saints are a problem in what would be a gimme division. Suddenly the Saints got Derek Carr and put themselves to the top like that. Yep. Um, 
I you're gonna you're gonna do good battle with the Titans and the Texans. Um, but like I said, teams uniquely the Jags are currently uniquely built to slice you guys up. And, and, and you know, maybe it'll be a 36 to 32 game because the Jags pass rush is not that great. <laughs> but you know, I I it's yeah, tough. The, that's I have the thing with the Jag. Well, you said you have what? I have five and twelve. See, and I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not mad at that at all. I mean, the thing is, we improved by one game, right? So, or, more importantly, or yeah, by yeah, one and a half, look, by one and a half, with a harder <laughs> overall schedule, you still improved by a game and a half. Damn straight. See, that's the point. <laughs> this guy gets it. Okay, listen. Um, and and I would even add the best thing about this: screw the record, right? You you finally got a quarterback that isn't a member of the AARP. That's the most important thing, right? And and we finally got a quarterback that when things get rough in that pocket, he can move. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> Philip Rivers would have beat, or excuse me, the Colts would have beaten the Bills in that playoff game if Philip Rivers could have taken the she that had parted in the yeah. middle of the field. I remember that. I wrote about that. Anyways, see Lou. Man, listen. I, I I'm glad I got you in for a proper long segment. That's <laughs> Woo! Tell the world where you can be found, my guy. Yeah, man. Y'all can find me on Twitter um, at DropBallsPod. Y'all see it on the screen at DropBallsPod. That's where I'm at on Twitter um, and on Instagram. I'm. It's the same thing. It's the same at, but instead there is a underscore between balls and pod. So <laughs> so you can find me on Instagram there. Um, but that's mostly where I spend my time, Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you know, I, I have a lot of fun on Twitter, you know, it's, it's, it's a good time on Twitter, uh, whether I'm telling jokes (laughs) and everything, you know, I just have a lot of fun on there, man. It's Twitter is not a real place. So I I enjoy my time there. (laughs) You're one of the cool kids. You're on spill and threads, right? You know? Uh, yeah, but not like. You don't got to give that away. Just tell them you're there. It's fine. Yeah, I'm there. I'm just not there all the time. I'm I'm mostly on Twitter, or I guess formerly known Twitter X or no, something. No. Yeah, we are not citing. We are not citing X. Gonna give it to you. I haven't <laughs> uploaded the DMX clip yet to show, so I I can't do that dad joke right now. By the way, if somebody messaged you directly. On Twitter, is that a DMX? I'm just checking. Anyway, <laughs> uh, also, also uh, on YouTube, be sure to check out Sports at the Dark After Hours. Just go to Sports at the Dark's YouTube page. Uh, subscribe to that as well. We have a good time, man. We record every uh, now every Monday, um, but we we have a good time, and I think we're gonna have a really good show this coming Monday or the first Monday Night Football game. We're gonna yeah. have a really good show. Every show is good. But that show's going to be that particularly. Yeah. I, I'm a Marth calendar because I yeah, Monday that was going to be really good. I, I mean, you can hint this to the crew if you're inclined to have me on. But Monday is the night I typically have off, so there you go. I might be yeah, right. Yeah, I'll let I'll let them know for sure. Uh, I mean, I I only keep saying something because Ash said it first. Like, oh, okay. Clear. I'm not just being. I'm not. I'm not the type to invite myself on the show <laughs> like that. Like, <laughs> nah, hey, I hey. know we're going to have some guests on, so we we definitely going to get it popping. Hey man, no, I, 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 I'm only like I said, I'm only joking about that because we talked. Uh, Ash and I talked about it. It was a funny exchange. Um, you know what else was fun? This segment, Silu, great job. There will be more. Um, Appreciate you, man, all the time. Until that point, I'm glad you got swim practicing and all that. It's a good thing. Um, man, I'll see you next time, brother. All right, for sure. See Lou doing the thing. You know what he dropped? It may be the drop balls pod, but he dropped some knowledge on you fools. Recognize it.
Anyway, speaking of dropping knowledge, bringing in two guys next up, of course, uh, Patrick Creighton is the guy, 97.5 ESPN in Houston, who I regularly go to when I'm talking anything Texans. And uh, listen, they're, they're on the rise, and Patrick Creighton will come aboard right now to tell you exactly why that's the case. And listen, whenever we're talking Texans here on the Student of the Game podcast, a mainstay that's been helping us out for a while. And hey, by the way, follow on him on Twitter as well if you like uh, you follow baseball at all. I don't follow baseball, but I find myself regularly entertained by what this guy puts out on social media and when he's talking and covering baseball as well. But that's not what we're here for. Patrick Creighton, what's going on, man? Good to see you again. What's going on, Kyle? Let's talk some football. Yeah, honor, joint privilege to have you. And listen, let's walk right through it. Um, as the preseason goes, uh, the Texans have looked incredibly interesting. And I have to throw it out there, you know, uh, over uh, I, 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 I making I'll, I'll put out a teaser of the statement I'm going to make when my AFC South preview drops on the three point conversion dot com uh, later this week Bing! Um, that even if the Texans only land on the second and third overall pick. C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson are two essential spots to any team, and then you secure Laramie Tunsil again for another contract. You have what many argue are the top three things that a team have to look for, right? C.J. at quarterback, um, Will Anderson with uh, trying to attack the other guy's quarterback as an edge rush, and then protecting that quarterback in Tunsil. You, you can't ask for too much more than that of an offseason, yeah? Well, I mean, if you live in Houston, apparently you can, because <laughs> C.J. Stroud has become like one of the more polarizing figures in Houston sports through no fault of his own. Like, all the guy has done is everything that he's asked of, but there's a certain amount of Texans-related PTSD that people have around here where they're just used to being beat on so much and they expect everything is going to fail, therefore he has to fail. Uh, didn't play in the SEC, therefore he has to fail. Uh, isn't Bryce Young, therefore he has to fail. <laughs> Texans are not capable of developing a quarterback, therefore he has to fail. Went to Ohio State, therefore he has to fail. There's a lot of Texans PTSD going around that creates well horse bleak narratives around cj stroud as to why he's going to fail when all the guy does is continue to improve uh and continue to show off why he was the, the quarterback with the the best rated passing ability coming out of the draft you know with with the power arm with the touch with the ability to to know when to use the zip and when to use the touch to make blows at all three levels of the field. You know, this guy was raised the best pure pass. Pat froze up for a bit there, but yeah, I like that he built out and all the other things he mentioned are things we've seen before, but the non sec quarterback comment, I think lands the most right. Uh, what is particular to Ohio State quarterbacks, right? There are guys who who have a stigma against them. And, hey, there is a day I would have signed off on that as well, but it's a different NFL. Let's pretend he wasn't the passing marvel that the evidence uh, that Pat put out, you know, implies that he was a passing prospect um, with, with a lot of, how you say, accuracy attached to it. 
this is a day and age where you have to be a good quarterback or can be a good quarterback with mobile tools as well. And, and I say all that to say, you know, CJ Stroud is not just your typical, you know, Ohio state, he's going to fail kind of guy. He's got somebody, he's somebody that has many different tools. And by the way, it's probably going to be more durable than Bryce Young based on his size. Well, you remember, you, the, you know, after Joe Namath, man, you don't want to take a quarterback from Alabama. Well, up until, you know, Tua looked like, you know, when he's not getting killed, he's a pretty damn good quarterback. Uh, you don't want to take a quarterback from USC because those guys are off and weak. Oh, but wait, the guy who's who everybody wants is the number one pick next year. He goes to USC. I mean, the <laughs> the silly now. Yeah. Back from that school. Well, this guy comes along and shows you can. Yeah, no, and, and I'm glad to see the Texans move past that. By the way, um, it, it, to help you battle against the equine excrement in question. No, sorry, bovine excrement in question. My bad. Um, but either apply. I think you said horse. It would be equine. Anyways, uh, the way I would battle against that is looking looking at another trend surrounding coaches. Right? You have D'Amico Ryan. Sure, he's a defensive coach. Sure, he's you know somebody who's supposed to fail as a defensive coach. Um, but he's also a former 49er coach, Mike McDaniel, doing a pretty great job out in the AFC East. You got Robert Sala doing a pretty great job with the Jets. And oh, by the way, happens to also be a former 49er coach. So with all the success that other 40 former 49er coaches have had in the Shanahan tree and all that, how do you think that uh, D'Amico Ryans is going to do with this group? Do you think this is one of those that has all those positive trends that 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 looks like you know optimism, albeit while the PTSD may not allow for that optimism? What do you think D'Amico Ryans is going to do with Houston this year? Look, I think they made the best possible hire this coaching cycle that they could have made, right? Everybody who's ever played with D'Amico Ryans, everybody who's ever coached D'Amico Ryans knew at this some point this was going to manifest as his destiny. He was going to be a coach. They've been calling him coach since college, <laughs> and he obviously wasn't the coach. But everybody who's ever played with him, you, you saw all the former Texans, J.J., Cushing, Andre, they were all coming to Houston, all super excited Deon, uh, D'Amico was was going to be the head coach. Everybody who's ever played with this guy was so excited he was going to be the head coach. The players on the team were texting each other how excited they were that D'Amico was going to be the head coach. So they, it, I know, again, the PTSD, it's hard. But <laughs> it everything looks like the Texans got this one right. And, and I know that that's a lot to comprehend. That is a lot to digest. Texans coach and write all in the same sentence with no negatives implied in there that all of these things are correct they got the right coach they got the best coach they could get and it's just it's a really cool story that here's the guy who came into the league second round draft pick by the texans and now starts his coaching career with the texans you know when he got drafted by the texans you know they were a team on the rise mm -hmm. now they're a team that is on the rise from a much lower start 
and his fingerprints are going to be all over it. So I, I think that they've certainly got the right coach. And look, that hasn't happened for a while. So yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad to see it's D'Amico. I'm glad that it's the Texans. And if you're a Texans fan, again, I, I got the PTSD. I, I know it's hard to, you know, when you've been in an abusive relationship, that the other party has finally changed their ways and is no longer going to abuse you. And, and they're going to try to treat you right and do what's right for you. And this is what Texans fans kind of deal with. But Texans got this one right. And fans should be excited. I mean, listen, I could speak for the uh, PTSD myself covering the Jags and Duval. There's plenty of coaching-ish that's gone on with that situation. I know exactly where you're coming from. But I think even for me, and you and I talked about this back when it was uh, still relevant. I mean, it, it's in the rear view that it got fixed now. But I thoroughly enjoy that whatever grievance was held between Ryan's and the Texan organization, that that got fixed up and he was brought in. And, and maybe there was a showing that how desperate – Houston was to try to get things back on the right track. I don't care. The point is I'm with you. I love the move. I mean, at some point I have to ask the question as a dude that follows the 49ers, like when does Shanahan's luck getting good um, coordinators run out? That's a whole other question for a whole nother show. Um, so uh, let me lead with this. Like, I feel like um, Strouds look good you know, throughout the preseason, you know, doing, doing stuff that you like to see from a guy who's going to come in and try to be the next, next, uh, uh, chapter of the franchise. But let me take it out on the defense here. And I've heard a number of, of Texan faithful that are boasting that this defensive secondary could find themselves currently head and shoulders above anything else that you might see in the AFC South. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, that would be a damning statement on the rest of the AFC South more than it would be a great statement on, on the Texans. But <laughs> I think the Texans have the chance to be a very good secondary. And by very good, I mean somewhere between, say, 10 and 15. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm not expecting them to be a top 10 secondary. Now, they've got players that eventually, you know, with, with Sting, with Petrie, these are guys that eventually could be a part of a top 10 secondary. But let's – can we just get to middle of the pack first? I feel like if we can have realistic expectations of let's get to 16. If we can get to 16, then let's get to 10. They've got some very good young players uh, in that secondary. And look, and Des King was kind of a surprise, uh, a surprise cut yesterday. And uh, but you know, Steven Nelson is still a pretty good player, even though he hates uh, Nick Casero's vests. Uh, Taft Thomas has got a lot of speed. Uh, you know, Kobe Francis is probably going to give more uh, special teams help and some some back stuff. But Sting and uh, and and Petrie and Jimmy Ward, uh, Eric Murray, these are good players. You know, mm -hmm. they've they've got a they've got a pretty good base there in the secondary, and and obviously a lot of the help there is going to be predicated on on Will Anderson and Jerry Hughes and and those guys up front, Sheldon Rankins. Can, can these guys get more pressure on the quarterback so that he's not sitting back there having tea and crumpets for five minutes before he has to throw the football? That was a big part of the problem last year was the pressure was inconsistent. The pressure did not come very often. Uh, you know, Jerry Hughes led the team with nine sacks. I think the next highest total was five. So they didn't get a lot of pressure last year. They needed to see a little bounce back here from John Grenard. You know, they need to get more pressure. And obviously, Will Anderson is going to be a big part of that. 
uh, going forward. Like Will Anderson has been better than advertised, and that's tough to say on a rookie because there's so much hype around early draft rookies. Will Anderson has been better than advertised. That dude is the goods. And, uh, and, and everybody who's watched him so far has seen that dude is the goods. He's going to make a mess for some other teams' offenses. And it's going to be nice to see the, the Texans' defense. Uh, having a guy that can, that can you know, be a wrecker in the backfield uh, and certainly a guy who's going to help put pressure uh, on the quarterback and make them get rid of the ball faster, make them get off their mark, make them move their feet to make a throw. And that, of course, helps the second. And listen, all of this to that, you know, you talk about uh, high picks getting a lot of pressure. What about guys where uh, teams have traded up to get to that significant pick? I mean, you know, I'm still hero hearing people talk about the uh, Trey Lance situation as a Niner guy simply because they jumped with all it and gave up all the picks to get him that they did and that stuff. That only adds to the pressure. Yes, obviously, I know the Trey Lance situation is not the Will Anderson situation, but for somebody who when when a team makes those trades to get that high pick it's it's something that only adds to the pressure so to hear you say better than advertised in that scenario is in itself a great statement i i completely see where you're coming from on that 100 um percent you know part of the issue with that too is when you overdraft guys based on uh, a skill level or an athleticism and not based on you know, actual success on the football field. Yes, Trey Lance is a very athletic guy. And yes, he's got a big arm and he can run around the field and hit the X button and spin around. But that's not the NFL game. In the NFL, you've got to be functional within the pocket. You've got to be able to be accurate within the pocket. And then your off schedule throws what you can do outside the pocket comes into play. But you've got to be able to be in the pocket Functional mobility within the pocket, so you're not, you know, Drew Brees, a Drew Bledsoe style statue, you know. But uh, a, a guy like, uh, like for example, Eli Manning was never the most mobile guy, but he was mobile within the pocket. Tom Brady was mobile within the pocket. Peyton Manning, um, Drew Brees was more a little more mobile than those guys because he had to be. But you didn't often see Drew Brees tuck it down and take off. He was getting himself time to throw the ball down the field. That's what you need to be able to do in the NFL. And if you can't be accurate, you're just not going to stick. He's not accurate. And he didn't play a whole lot of football in college. He played at North Dakota State, so he wasn't playing uh, FBS. He's basically playing FCS and hadn't really played since 2019. He played one game in 2020. I mean, this is a guy who did not play a lot of football. And – It's hard to have success in the NFL, the quarterback position, when you do not play a lot of football in college. And this is, you know, one of the risk factors with Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson is maybe the greatest athlete that we've ever seen play quarterback. Mm -hmm. He's he's a tank. And, And he's got a cannon for an arm, but he's not accurate yet. Will he ever become accurate? We don't know. He played one year at quarterback in Florida. Now, yeah, you played at Florida. You played in the SEC. You got beat up by the good teams. You can't control that because they beat up on your defense. Uh, But he didn't score a whole lot against teams like Georgia where C.J. Stroud lit Georgia up like Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
can all his talents, can, can all of those ultimately translate? I'm not rooting against anybody. I want everybody to be successful. You never want to root against a guy. But he's got an uphill battle in that, you know, are you going to be more than just the next generation's Mike Vick where you can run for 1,000 yards, but you're going to complete like 52% of your passes and you're never really going to get to that next level for quarterbacks because you're you're held back by your inaccuracy. You could have a cannon arm. Mike Vick could throw the ball out of the stadium. Yeah. But he, he couldn't win anything because, well, he wasn't an accurate quarterback. You know, what is Anthony Richardson ultimately going to be? There is so much athleticism and this gigantic arm. Can he ever learn to put touch on the football? You know, can he learn to drop a ball in as opposed to try to fire it through the bodies of people? So there's there's a learning curve there for him. But because of his athleticism, because of his legs, there's a lot of excitement. For the most part, those quarterbacks, they don't pan out as well. And this is why, you know, for all the slack, that Lamar Jackson has gotten in his career. Lamar Jackson has shown you he can throw the football. Right. And and he doesn't get credit for it, which is also unbelievable. You know, Lamar Jackson's a damn good quarterback. That guy has shown you he can throw and he's also like the, the badass running the quarter running the ball. His injuries don't come when he runs. His injuries have come when he's gotten sacked in the backfield. Accurate. So, Accurate. You know, Lamar Jackson has been Better than expected because he can make the throws. Can Anthony Richardson make the throws? That's going to determine, you know, how good a pick that was you know, when we get to the end of his rookie contract. Yeah, the point you make with uh, Lamar Demetrius Jackson, I think the same could be said for Josh Allen, that he developed better accuracy, um, though whether he's maintaining it uh, as well as um, uh, Jackson is is another question for another podcast, but yeah, I, I like where you're going there. And, and well, I think that's a big ask, ask for Richardson. Go ahead. You know what, what helped uh, Josh Allen's accuracy more than anything else, right? Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs. Yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> I mean, catches everything. That sure helps. Hey buddy, I, I made the August before the August that that trade happened. I am on record on video saying, watch that number go up. I can tell you that much already. I'm, I'm right there with you, father. There's, there's definitely no question for me on that fact. Um, I, I I'll say this too, the, the place where I have this offense as a whole, the offensive line, I can make an argument. It's, Better than it's been in some time there in Houston. And you could correct me if that's wrong. Um, the running backs, you, you've had some good run production. Now, whether, granted, whether that's out of necessity because of the quarterback situation that it's been, or whether it's been actual running back talent, that can be disheveled and people can argue about that. But there's been running back, there's been running production on the offense that's been uh, at the very least serviceable, if not outright good. And now the receiver core talent is very interesting. I think it's tantamount sort of to what the Jags had last year in that you had a lot of guys who were really good. Maybe you don't have a clear number one, but you could distribute the football well. And if you have an offensive uh, scheme that can pencil whip guys open, kind of like Peterson did with the Jags last year and a learning Trevor Lawrence, you can still put yourself in position to win a lot of games. Do I think the... Uh, well, I won't give away my record count, but I, I the statement I'll make is with the with CJ Stroud at quarterback, 
if he manages games well and opponents of certain caliber who would air quotes be expected to beat the Texans, if they come out slow and the game gets managed well, you're going to steal some games. Is that an accurate statement? I think that the, look, I don't expect them to win every quote winnable game, but I expect them to say win 65% of their winnable games. And that should get them somewhere like six, seven wins. Now, it's funny you said game, like game manage the game, because the term game manager is considered to be an insult to quarterbacks. Oh, and I hate that. But, but part of the, the truth of the matter is CJ Stroud is going to have to manage these games because he doesn't have a true number one receiver. Mm-hmm. What the Texans have is a lot of twos and threes. They got a pretty good receiving tight end. And they got a good receiving back in Devin Singletary. He's going to have to spread the ball around. And that is basically a form of management is you've got to manage the distribution of footballs to who is open on a given play because you don't have uh, an Andre Johnson or DeAndre Hopkins who, you know, no matter what, if they're covered, they're open. If they're double covered, they're open. Like it doesn't matter. You can't shut those (laughs) guys down. So, this is a really big year for Nico Collins, right? It's it's his third year. He's on his third OC, his third uh, uh, third head coach, and essentially third quarterback, not counting, um, you know, tight ends as quarterbacks or like Jeff Driscoll, not counting Kyle Allen. You know, <laughs> if we just go Tyrod to Mills to CJ and leave all the other guys out of it. Uh, <laughs> third quarterback, third head coach, third OC, and He's got to show that he has that ability because he's another guy who didn't play football in the COVID year and and as a result missed like a whole missed a whole season. A guy who was drafted in the third round that, you know, oh well, if he played, you know, he probably would have been a first round pick. You know, we heard that about Davis Mills. Right. Another example of a guy didn't play a lot of football, not succeeding in the NFL. But wide receiver is a little bit different. So Nico Collins should showed some flashes last year of a lot of ability, the ability to separate, the ability to high point, to make catches, you know, go up a high point, the ball, pull the ball down, make catches in traffic. Uh, but he couldn't send the field. So this is a big season for him where if he is going to show that he's ever going to be a guy who is capable of being a number one receiver, he's on the clock right now. Now the, the negatives are, Look, you, you you were a third-round pick. So if you don't get it right this year, next year is do or die. Like, you're, you're either going to get it done or you're going to be out of here. And once you're, quote, out of here, you're going to be a, a guy making minimums, bouncing around the league uh, until you're out of the league, it ultimately, is what that comes down to. So if he's going to show that he can be a legitimate uh, starting receiver and hopefully a, a number one receiver, he's got to do it this year. And he's got a pretty good uh, rapport with C.J. Stroud. That's important, right? We've seen him make a couple of catches. Probably will tell you that he should have had that over-the-shoulder catch Sunday night that got knocked away. And I think, uh, you know, you as somebody who knows an awful lot about how to break up passes and hit people, uh, when, when the DB is coming from the side like that and your arm is low, he's going to chop you on the elbow. When he chops you on the elbow, you're going to drop the ball. 
You got to get your arm high so he hits you on the shoulder, the bicep. That way he's not chopping you down and that ball comes in. You can bring the ball in if he hits you up here. Once he hits you here, you're dropping it. Right. And I think that's a body adjustment that a guy like Nico Collins, who's a pretty big receiver, I think that's a body adjustment he will learn. Uh, and, and he will go back and look at that tape and go, all right, I know what I did wrong. I, will, I won't make that mistake again. Uh, and then, of course, he gets the, the touchdown on the, the next time that CJ came looking for him across the end zone. So uh, I, I think this is a big year for Nico Collins if he can establish himself, uh, A, as healthy, because that's number one, got to be on the field. Uh, but he does seem to have the best rapport with Stroud. He does look like if they had a number one, he would be the guy. But to be a true number one, there's still some growth there that needs to happen and the ability to stay on the field. If he can make that, Nico Collins becomes a hell of a draft. Yeah. And when, when you go back next year and say, okay, where can I go find my stud receiver? Now you're talking about pairing Collins with whomever you're drafting, plus Tank Dell, plus John Mechie, because look, Robert Woods is probably not going to be here next year if, if Nico Collins uh, ascends. And Noah Brown probably won't be here if Tank Dell or Xavier Hutchinson, uh, John Mechie can get back on the field. Uh, I, I don't know that, that Noah Brown is, is going to be better than any of those three guys. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yes, the veterans are going to play more early, but as the year goes on, I expect the, the rookies and the young guys to – Steed that to steal that time from them, and and that's really where we're going to find out uh, the most about this team because it's the young guys who have the explosiveness. It's the young guys who are going to be exciting. There's not really anything exciting about Robert Woods. He's a he's a steady veteran receiver who will catch footballs and move sticks. But at this stage of his career, I don't know that there's a whole lot of yak involved in that. He's not a deep threat anymore. Um, he's he's a possession receiver. That's okay. You need guys like that. Right. So with a rookie quarterback, you need a guy like that. I don't know that Noah Brown is ever really going to be anything. You know, he was he was pretty good for the Cowboys the first couple of games, and then he kind of faded out of existence. You know, and, and the whole the whole thing was if he could really be a number two type receiver, well, he'd still be still be in Dallas instead of Brandon Cooks because they were desperate for somebody to extend that role when they traded Amari Cooper and left Ceedee Lamb on an island. Right. Uh. Dalton Schultz is obviously going to be a big part of the offense. Uh, he is going to be asked to catch a lot of footballs. Devin Singletary is probably going to be asked to catch a lot of footballs. And, and Damian Pierce has shown he is much better out of the backfield than anybody thought because, well, Florida never threw him the ball out of the backfield. <laughs> and last year he showed he could catch the ball, but his footwork was off. So far in camp this year, his footwork is a lot better. So he is not going to be – quote, a liability in the pass game. Uh, and he can certainly pick up blockers because he's huge and he flattens people. So uh, for, for, for those things there, I think the Texans have a lot of pieces. It's just that instead of having one dominant guy, they're going to have to spread it around to take advantage of wherever the mismatch is on a given play. There you go, and that's where that management comes in. Side note with Pierce, you know, you do mention him. I, I, I also too was going to say I like him in pass protection, and if his feet are indeed better, that only improves one's ability to protect protect uh, the young C.J. Stroud. I'm on board with you on that for sure. Well, hey man, listen, um, a lot of great stuff. 
a lot, a lot less snark. This is how I know you're feeling better about this team. My guy, I'm surprised, but with all that in mind, man, it's to that time of the show. Uh, what do you think of uh, the Texans are going to do in terms of wins this year? Look, I, I know that people go, Oh, rookie quarterback, rookie head coach, three wins. Last year, the team was three wins. Uh, should have won week one, didn't. Should have won week two, didn't. Should have won week three. They should have been three and all. They were on. They were one, two, and one. Well, oh, two and one. They were oh, two and one. Should have been three and all. So that means my three-win team should have been a six-win team. Uh, they should have beaten the Cowboys. They could have beaten the Chiefs, who forgot to show up that day. <laughs> uh, you know, they could have had eight wins. They had three. Is it is it unrealistic to think that this team could be a six or seven win team? I don't think it is. I, I think they could very well win six or seven games. The head coach is markedly better. The offensive system is markedly better. The defense is markedly better. People, I think, don't realize how because the Texans didn't sign any of these big giant long-term deals and 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 go and get like this megastar, that megastar. Sheldon Rankins is a huge ad in the yes. middle of the defensive line. He's a huge yes. ad. Uh, they went and got Denzel Perryman. All right, Christian Kirksey is no longer on the team because of Denzel Perryman, because he's, he's just that much, he's that better a player. All right, they went and got Jimmy Ward. All right, they went and got some key players and plugged them into spaces uh, to, to make this team better, along with all the young guys that are flowing through this team. So now you've got a few more veterans, accomplished veterans, Pro Bowl veterans, who are now on the team as well adding to uh, the more young players that you've continued to add. To me, the Colts are going backwards. The Tennessee Titans may have signed DeAndre Hopkins, but that doesn't make Ryan Tannehill stay on the field anymore. Uh, exactly. And, well, and if they have to go to Malik Willis or Will Levis, DeAndre Hopkins can't catch footballs that never get thrown to him. Right. So I, I think the Titans are going back the other way. I, mm -hmm. The Jags are still a good team. Um, and I think Doug Peterson's a pretty good coach. So, mm -hmm. uh, again, you know, with the Jags, you're talking about the, the coaching shenanigans. I think they finally got it right, too. Oh, now, yeah. I don't know if they got the GM right, but I think they got the coach right. And, uh, you know, I, I think once upon a time the GM was right, but then he got into this little, you know, measuring contest with with Jim Harbaugh over who deserved the credit. Why got to team. <laughs> Why not bring that up, Pat? But I, I will say I'll agree with you. It wouldn't be the first time with Trent Bulky that I had more confidence in the coach than I did the GM. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't think it's that Balky can't assemble a team because we've seen him assemble a team. Right. But then when he disassembled the team, he couldn't rebuild it fast enough because you know it's hard to build. Jim Thompson is was not the same. So you know, and Jim Tom Sula and Chip Kelly were not were not uh, Jim Harbaugh, and uh, you know the whole idea of well we're going to play what Blaine Gabbert instead of Colin Kaepernick because we want Cap to give up uh, that guarantee we want Cap to waive that injury guarantee. I mean, people don't realize that they forget that whole thing was a salary dispute. They just wanted Cap to say I'm not going to enforce my injury guarantee for no consideration. Mm -hmm. And like, why would anybody do that? That's the whole point of having a contract. Protect yourself is I'm not going to waive this for nothing. Give me something in exchange for it. And their whole stance was, how about we trade you? 
<laughs> and then you give up money to somebody else. Yeah. That was that was epic idiot Balky at his finest. But look, he did build the team first. So yes. can he put that behind him and go full square rebuild uh, here with the Jaguars? Because the Jags are on the ascendant, and the Jags are the best team in the division. They've got some – when you get the quarterback, you've got the quarterback, and Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback. Yeah. Um, I, I think ATN's a terrific back. Uh, you have Calvin Ridley coming in this year. Mm-hmm. If, if their offensive line is decent, they're gonna score a lot of points. Yeah, the, the offensive line's gotta be gotta be decent though. Yeah, the, the young guys they brought in have looked good, but to your point, yeah, I mean you you got to see Walker a little produce, and then that's after Cam Robinson comes back. Yeah, they're 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 my concern the most on the offense as well. I think you nailed that hundred percent. But hey, listen, so nobody calls you a homer. Patrick Craig, let me be clear. Well, that's because I'm from New York and I grew up a Giants fan. Hey, listen, I I get it. I I get it. I I follow the Niners, but I cover the Jags. So when I say something about them, I'm a homer. I know you're a homer. Exactly. But all the above to say, even though you're a big Houston homer, I too have seven wins for the Texans. And earlier tonight, talking with the general Mike Patton, I picked seven wins for the uh, Titans as well. So that should tell you everything that I think about both the ascension of one franchise and the descending potential of another. I So I'm right there with you with the seven wins um, for the Texans there, man. Well, that's funny because I'm with you on seven wins for the Texans, seven wins for the Titans. Really? And, and I got four wins for the Colts. There you go. I'd see. But, it, I mean, if you if you weren't in a different state, I would accuse you of stealing my notes. Uh, <laughs> No, man, I'm I'm right. I, I like all that, too, um, as well. Uh, I appreciate what's going. I don't want to say my Jags pick yet. That'll be with my next guest coming up here, John Shipley, in the virtual green room crew, queued up, so to speak, there. So um, go ahead and tell the people where you can be found, Pat. Well, you can find me on ESPN 97.5, uh, Late Hits on ESPN 97.5. You can find me on X Twitter, X Twitter on X, at Crate one <laughs> Uh, that's you. That's a, probably the best place you can find me. You can also get us on uh, the ESPN 97.5 app, uh, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5, uh, ESPN97.5.com slash late dash hits. You can find all the shows that I've done, podcasts and broken down. Uh, and you can check the show out that way if you like. Honor, joy, and privilege. I love that we keep this tradition going. And I love that we text each other. And hey, during the season, here's listen, all I got to say is this. I felt better going into the game where you ended up ruining Baselli's <laughs> halftime induction in Duval. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if they were playing this team that year, I would have been a lot more worried and going into it might have been less disappointing. And I'll leave it at that, man. I just had to bring that up. But, yeah, man, thanks for being on, and uh, we'll catch you next time, brother. Hi, my pleasure. Take care, Kyle. So this is a treat. I, I know at some point this week, and actually by the time you hear, you're hearing this, if you're watching it on the screen, it'll be tomorrow night that my, I'm at UCF with the black and gold banneret. But this guy I met six years ago in that very press box, my man of the Jaguar Report, and thank you for bringing me aboard there as well, John Shipley. Bing! See, I, I mentioned two outlets there. I got to do the bell. But uh, thanks for coming aboard, Ship. Welcome, welcome in, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, boss. Appreciate it. 
Hey, listen, we could get right into it. I would throw you more flowers, but, you know, as we're recording this, it's final cut down day uh, all over the NFL and, and uh, much appreciated for the time you're bringing in, knocking that out. But but let's get through it here. So now, granted, uh, my second piece for the Jaguar report. Bing, see, that's how it's properly done. Um, I mentioned Trevor Lawrence having an opportunity to have a huge this year, this year, um, all the pieces. Calvin Ridley dealing what I would call the Laramie Tunsil uh, defense coming in off of a, a tough situation, but making a huge impact. Um, what else about it surrounding him and with all the familiarity, familiarity as well, would you punctuate that's looking good for this offense? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just that, you know, Trevor Lawrence at this time last year, you know, not – he was still one learning how to be a pro quarterback because I mean, you ask anybody in the building, he didn't, he didn't get that opportunity to really learn his rookie year. You know, like his rookie year was honestly a complete waste and a complete wash by every definition. Cause he didn't get to learn how to prepare like an NFL quarterback, how to, you know, really work in an NFL scheme. He did all that last year, but he was really learning at this point last year. Now, you know, he has a scheme down. You can tell that the offense just all preseason and even training camp, I felt like, you know, it was a clean operation. You know, a lot, not a lot of stuff like, you know, false starts or people being, you know, in the wrong assignments. You know, they had some of their own self-inflicted mistakes. You know, obviously his interception against the Cowboys, think Bigsby's fumble against Miami. But overall, I think Lawrence just being that comfortable in the, in the offense entering this year, he can think less and he can play, you know, just – play his game and be more instinctive. And he's already an instinctive player to begin with. So the fact that you can kind of take off any chains that might, you know, like restrict his game entering this year, I, I think he's going to absolutely explode this year. I, I think 5,000 yards has to be the expectation for him this year in this offense. Okay. Hey, by the way, just so you know, his rookie year, we often say on this show that he was mired in Urban's coaching. Yes? Yeah. Uh, throwing the dad joke out there. <laughs> No, man, uh, I, I definitely uh, read every bit of that. Also, um, if you want to take an opportunity to mock me about my questions about Tank Bigsby early, yeah, I know he had the fumble, but I didn't like that draft pick at first. But, man, I'm – I listen, I, 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 I'll go find the crow here by the end of the season, I'm sure, yeah? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I didn't – I wasn't huge about that pick or the Britain Strange picks when they were made. The Bigsby pick had less to do with him as a player and more to do with, you know, they have some glaring defensive needs. Why are you drafting, you know, a backup running back? Whereas now, you know, he's really been the number two running back since he stepped into the building. You know, he leapfrogged everybody else, you know, some established, you know, NFL veterans and Jermichael Hasty and Deonis Johnson. And, you know, I thought he showed why in the preseason. I thought he ran really well. I thought – when he got put back into the game, the next drive against Miami starters, you know, minus Christian Wilkins and Jalen Ramsey, I thought he ran really well. He had that really nice run where he squared up Javon Holland in space and was able to just bounce off of him. And I, I think he's going to be a nice player for the Jaguars. And I think they kind of showed on Saturday how they plan to use in all really this preseason, how they plan to use him in ETN. He'll get a lot of short yardage opportunities. He'll get some goal line touches. But ultimately, you know, it's going to be split touches with the ETN with the majority of them going to ETN. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that, <clears throat> excuse me, about in the end zone. And, and I know he had the fumble uh, at Everbank against the Dolphins or whatever. Granted, as as annoying as that play was for Jags fans, by the way, folks, watch that tape. Anton Harrison, the first round pick the tackle, pulls and makes an excellent block. It does. And, and listen, if Bigsby just holds on to the ball, that's six. I get it. Um, 
and I think that's a correctable mistake. I think I think Trevor said it best. He's like he made that mistake and it didn't count. And I unfortunately I made all my mistakes when they counted. He said I thought that was what. Anyways, um, but yeah, I, I like and and if I had realized at the time, and 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 rightly so that they targeted it. If I had realized at the time that they were targeting uh, cleaning up red zone action, they were. Yeah offense in the red zone and and i think tank bigsby certainly adds that element let me jump over to the defensive side ship um i like you, you you like what they got going with the dbs i feel like greg jr looking good but i think they have their set guys um they parted ways with shaquille griffin fun as he was to talk to all that stuff i mean i think this was a that was a divorce that was better for both both parties there and, and i i like what i'm seeing there when anybody's talking jaguars defense within the community it's certainly the pass rush that's the issue but a lot of solid play from some defensive tackle types what do you make of what they're going what's going on there on defense yeah i mean i, I think you look at their starting 11 on defense and you know there's a lot of athleticism a lot of versatility you know guys to be excited about i think any of the issues that show up on defense, you know, maybe come up in terms of depth, you know, they're, they're, like you mentioned, the pass rush. I, I'm confident in Josh Allen as a pass rusher. I think Trayvon Walker, you know, he's more of a question mark, but he should at least give you something in terms of a pass rush. But it's behind them, you know, where the question mark is. You know, last year they had the one smooth and Arden Key as a number three and number four guys. You know, right now they have Caleb on chase on, who to this point has three sacks in his career. Didn't exactly have a standout training camp preseason, but I mean, Doug Peterson already, you know, proclaimed yesterday, you know, he is their number three guy. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So that that's where the question lies. You know, they did resign Smoot, who's coming off an Achilles injury. He'll be on the PUP list of the in the year so he'll miss at least the first four games i think he'll be back around week five week six but you know how much you get from him after an injury is a big question mark but you know they do have some things on defense to be excited about i think tyson campbell should establish himself as a top 10 cornerback you know this year he he probably honestly already is but this should be the year where it kind of leaves no question. I think Andre Cisco, you know, you talk to people, mm -hmm. coaches inside the building, and he's the guy they all think, you know, he has a chance to have a Pro Bowl like season. It is, you know, a lot like how this is Trevor's second year in the system. I mean, this is Cisco's second year as a full time starter, you know, after his rookie year, where it's more or less spent on special teams and on the bench. So this could be a big year for him. And their interior defensive line, when healthy, I think is the strength of the defense. You know, Devon Hamilton whenever he's back from his indefinite absence for a medical, you know, related back injury, uh, fully fought Akasi, he should be good to go week one. Uh, Roy Robson Harris had a really strong training camp preseason. And then, you know, they have a good depth there too. Adam Gotsis, Jeremiah Ledbetter, Tyler Lacey all showed they could play some, you know, during training camp and during the preseason. And then an inside linebacker, you're really hoping that Devin Lloyd takes a, big second year leap. I think that you saw signs of it in training camp, but you also saw some signs of, you know, the rookie Devin Lloyd, I, you know, Saturday, he missed a big tackle, you know, on that second drive that led to a huge game. And, you know, ultimately I believe it was, you know, three points for Miami. So it Lloyd can become more consistent. That will help a lot with their defense in terms of the middle of the field pass defense because that's where they really struggled last year. Teams were really honing in on him, you know, in coverage and in the passing game and kind of putting a bullseye on him. So if he can step up his game in that regard this year, that could help the defense, you know, by leaps and bounds. And I would be remiss. Travis Holmes and I talked about it in the Duval Daily. Uh, bing! 
yeah, I have to bing that. That's that's officially another brand. Um, but Yasir Abdullah making a presence felt. Okay. I mean, with all the injuries you're talking about, Chazon being questionable. I mean, for now, I, I know that you know, uh, Coach Peterson's made his declaration and all that's fun and good. But a day's in, like, does he claw his way in to make an impact on Sundays here this season? I think you'll see some snaps here and there. I I, I don't think it'll be anything substantial. You know, like it, it, I wouldn't even say he he would play. You know, double digit snaps a game. You know, I, I, as of right now, I do think he is the the number four guy. But I do think you'll see some snaps here and there, especially you know on some third and longs and some obvious passing downs because he he did have a strong preseason. You know, he looked like player, probably the best reserve pass rusher and the big thing with him is you know just the sheer fact that he is a rookie and you know how much he can really put on his plate this early will kind of determine how far he can go well it's that time ship we're in that place where i there's somewhere on a stone tablet somewhere that in the month of august at some point you got to tell people how many wins you think a team's gonna get and if i'm coming to an authority there are a few that rival you in your ability to do so covering the Jags. So, sir, what do you think the win total for the Jags is this year? I'm, I'm going to be bold and say 13 and four. I, I, I really think that they're going to be a one of the one of the AFC's better teams this year. You know, off the strength of their offense, I think Doug Peterson as a play caller, Trevor Lawrence. You know, I I truly believe he's going to take that leap into you know being one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, I think people. We'll put him in there in conversation with Burrow and Allen, you know, below Mahomes after this season. You know, the addition of Calvin Ridley, who it like there shouldn't be any more questions, I think, from anybody about what Calvin Ridley can offer them this year. I think you've seen oh, yeah. it in the preseason and training camp. You know, he's a number one receiver. And I just, you know, just going down the list, it's the deepest Jaguars offense and most versatile Jaguars offense, maybe in franchise history. I mean, you know, they're just, there are weapons everywhere. When you combine weapons with strong quarterback play with good coaching and scheme, it really feels like the sky's the limit. You know, on the other hand, I don't think the defense will be, if the defense is average, I think that would be a good outcome for them. But I think this will be a team driven by the offense and they can live with the defense. You know, it's funny. Because as regularly as T-Law got compared to another AFC South great when he got drafted first overall with Peyton Manning, when he got to the Super Bowl, he had what I called, he wasn't going for another degree, but I often said he had a GED. That's a good enough defense. And I think that's what the Jags are looking for here in for their sure. stretch. You know, they got a guy, uh, you know, in Doug Peterson who wrote a book about, you know, pass first, run to keep a lead. Well, if you're scoring at a high clip like that, you only need to keep the score relatively low. I mean, there's plenty of parables. That's the one that came to mind first. Um, but this schedule, man, I'll tell you. So you got the AFC North on it, and you have the Niners on it. There's a number of tough games. And and, and listen, I, I'm, I'm not a Jaguar fan per se, but I've been following them for a long time. Uh, Ship, at some point, the Jags going to jag and lose a couple that they shouldn't. And it's with that physics. I'm not quite as optimistic as 13, but I do have them winning the division at 10 and 7. Um, so, yeah, still double digits, still easily making sure. the playoffs, still still making the mark. And I'll, uh, tell me what you think of this. Last year it was it was always the Jags. It's kind of a whimsical, hey, we're down by 20, 21, whatever, you know, taking that mantra from Jocko Willich, good, you know. Now it's more like, I feel like it's kind of like got a Thanos vibe to it, you know, instead of I am inevitable. It is. It was always the Jacks, that kind of thing. And, and I think it's that confidence they're trying to play with. Does that make sense? 
No, it, it absolutely does. And it, they're definitely a much more confident team, in my opinion, this time around than they were, you know, entering the season last year because, you know, the expectation and, you know, for them is to be that team that is, you know, double digit wins, winning the AFC South, you know, playing meaningful games in January, which is, you know, if the expectation here for the first time in a long time. So there you go. With that in mind, Shipley endorses somebody out there. I want to see the meme with Thanos in teal instead of purple. It was always the Jags. There it is, right there. I don't know. I don't know how the, the gauntlet gets in there. And all yeah. that. We, <laughs> we do nerd humor here too, Shipley. Anyways, man, John Shipley, everybody, thank you for stump- stepping in. Tell the world where you can be found, my guy. Hey, you can find me uh, at Jaguar Report on Twitter. You know, the Jaguar Report podcast out there on all platforms, si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars for the site. You know, we post content daily where boots on the ground, you know, on site at the stadium daily. And, you know, I firmly believe, you know, with, you know, Kyle and the rest of the team, we have, you know, the best uh, Jaguars, you know, content, you know, that you can find locally. Our team is pretty amazing. I'm not going to front on that. Yeah, they did a good job putting that together, Ship. And I'm not saying that just because I'm on it. I actually follow all of these people now, and they do good work. What can I say? Honor, joy, and privilege, Ship. Thanks for stepping in. Get back in the, the trenches, man. It's it's free agency. It, it's going to be a wild one. I appreciate you, my friend. Hey, an honor, joy, and privilege, brother. See you next time. And, of course, great work there by John Chipley of the Jaguar Report. Of course, and I, I, I kind of have to say that because I ride for him, but I think so anyway of what he brought to the table tonight. Of course, special thanks also to Patrick Creighton of 97.5, the late hits show in Houston there. Shouts to C. Lou of Sports After Dark. And, of course, my man, the general himself, touring the AFC South, Mike Patton, for all stepping aboard, having a great time on the evening and uh, concluding the previews such as they are. So, yeah, with that of course, I am Kyle Nash. As soon as the game, you can find me on Twitter at the SOTG. Find me on Instagram as the same, the SOTG. Find me on Facebook as the student of the game. Check out my writings with the black and gold banneret covering UCF uh, this week, in particular for their first game hosting Kent State. Bing! Um, also, this Sunday, I'll be in the building at the Citrus Bowl for LSU-FSU. So look out for my reaction to that game on the three-point conversion. And uh, let's uh, talk about, uh, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, A7B in sports as well, where you can find this, or Toba Media, where the struggle is real to be awesome. You'll be uh, hopefully checking out either of those on YouTube or perhaps also on YouTube via the Huddle Up Inc. Uh, offering there uh, on YouTube. The Huddle Up podcast crew will be here next week for the official final prediction show before we kick off League Action for the NFL that Thursday night. Um, I mean, I like Dan Campbell. I don't know about that as a debut. But anyways, with all that in mind, friends, uh, looking forward to all of that. By the way, Friday, 11 a.m. this week, our regular time moving forward with the Duval Dive, a Jaguars podcast. Me and Travis Holmes of Big Cat Country will uh, talk about the relevant things coming from all things Jaguar for uh, the week at hand leading into the game uh, that would be coming up. Of course, there is no game this weekend for the NFL, but we will walk through what we think the AFC South is going to be like on that one. Expect a lot from Travis. Also, the final 53-man roster and various little things like that. Then anybody looking for all things Jaguar, 
might appreciate. But enough from me. Uh, an honor, joy, and privilege. Anybody who uh, came aboard, always a fun time talking sport with you guys. But until next time, everyone, class dismissed. Dismissed. <laughs>